Hey, welcome to Tangible Takeaways, episode 94. I'm Jackson, and today I'm going to talk about how you shouldn't let your experience form your theology. And I'm Todd, and I'm going to talk about how God is both the author of marriage and divorce. All that and more on this episode of Tangible Takeaways. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We're back with another timed, tangible takeaways. Yeah, we're kind of going two for two on that. People love that, I think. You know, they're like, mm. if you guys could just be more concise, <laughs> that'd be great. I was just saying, they love it because we don't ramble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, keep it tight, you guys. Um, but man, just a, a great weekend this weekend, wrapping up our Handle With Care series. So appreciate the Bricellis, um And I think, man, if you think about any of those things in your story or testimony, that you would count as those kind of deep low points. It's, it takes a lot of vulnerability and transparency to be able to be willing to share that stuff and a lot of confidence in the redemption that God has taken place in their story. So just appreciate them for that. Totally. Absolutely. And what I really appreciated too, they, you know, ever since I've known them, um, they have really wanted their story to be helpful to other people. Yeah. And uh, where others would go, God, I'm grateful of what you're redeeming in us, and that's great, but I, I don't... Let's turn the page. Yeah, and I don't want to keep yeah reliving it, or I don't want to even half tell other people. And that's fine, too, but I just appreciate their heartbeat has been for exactly what we did this weekend, was to be able to be a source of hope and encouragement to others. Yeah, and the fact that they're in the trenches in mm-hmm. those two support groups, yeah. which are such great opportunities for people to be able to take those steps towards freedom in that. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, So we're back with some survey questions here. Uh, These ones will be definitely more tied to some of the stuff that we heard about from the Bercellis this weekend. Um, And so uh, we've got five survey questions, five minutes a piece, and uh, we'll get into it. Uh, Here's the first question. My husband and I had relations before marriage, and now we're dealing with infertility. We've asked God to forgive us, but we don't know if this could be punishment for our past actions. Is this possible? Well, let's start the timer. Bada bing. Boom. Um, man, I just appreciate the, the heart of even the question, right, where it's saying we recognize that we've lived outside of God's design, and a very honest question of, is this a consequence, you know, from that? And I guess my, my just response would be, I don't know that anyone can know that unless that's something that God has really uniquely supernaturally communicated to a person. I mean, we know in scripture, there's all kinds of things that God does. Some of the very natural consequences of things and other times there are unique things, but I just don't know that that could ever be a thing we infer from that subsequent reality. I actually know of multiple couples who, um, have struggled with infertility and have a similar story. Mm. And I don't know that the, the assumption or the thought has been God must be angry with us and this must be something that's a result of our sin. It has been, and just like I appreciated this couple, we've asked for forgiveness. First John 1, 9, if we confess it as sin, God forgives us. So it's not a question of has God not forgiven you? Yeah. That's totally, biblically, we can land on that. And um, that's, that's, I don't know what else to say other than I would, as a, as a, 
a couple then, and, and I, I think the question was, I think they're married now. So obviously that's where we would expect, right? That that would, if I'm living outside of God's design, I probably shouldn't expect his blessing. But if I'm married and we're um, trying to have kids, I would think that's a thing to just keep bringing before the Lord and saying, Lord, you know our heart, you know our desires, and uh, we're, we're just going to keep praying that that's something you'd grant. Yeah, and I, I think that's the... Um, for me, I think maybe my first question would be, what are we allowing to shape our theology, right? Are we allowing our circumstances and the trials that we're in to shape our theology? Somebody, maybe let's go with a different example than this one. Somebody might have an addiction and it's like, well, you know, now I've got to basically create theological room for that addiction because I'm not seeing freedom there. So Mm. freedom in Christ must not be possible. So let me alter my theology around that. When it's like, no, this is possible. You're just maybe not experiencing that in this circumstance. So I want to continue to let God's word form my theology, which is, man, you've repented and you've put your faith in Jesus and you're living according to his design now. You're forgiven. And Mm. so I think that's we're in backwards theology if we're allowing this experience or trial to say, oh, well, God's just hanging this over our head. Sure. Then I've got to go to God's word and see, like we talked about last week on this tangible takeaways, infertility actually becomes this crucible in scripture of do I respond in faith or do I respond in this kind of increasing fear and stuff like that? So now I'm, I'm honestly being given an opportunity, what I would say, an opportunity to kind of operate differently than we did in our dating relationship. Mm. If in our dating relationship, we didn't trust God for our sexuality and we said, no, we think we know better. Well, now I'm being given an opportunity in marriage. That's where even going back to last week again, purity was never about, you know, was I a virgin going into marriage? It was always about, do I trust God in the dating process? Well, now I have an opportunity here to trust him in this process in marriage with infertility. Yeah. So in many ways, I'm being given the opportunity, you're being given as a couple, the opportunity to trust God in ways you didn't when you were dating. Yeah. And so I'd see that as a weird kind of grace almost in some ways where mm-hmm. there is now this opportunity, opportunity. Yeah, to say, <clears throat> do we trust him for it? And are we willing to live out that trust in ways that we didn't previously? Yeah. No, those are great thoughts, Jackson. And I, I almost wonder too, I think the bigger picture too that you alluded to that is so hard for us is to l- look at our experience and to try to back into a theological understanding of it. Yeah. Where we're almost working backwards. Yeah. Rather than experience. going, well, God's word says, yeah. And then letting that shape how I interpret my experience versus my experience going, well, this is what I know, this is true. Now, how does a theology somehow fit into that? Yeah. And I think that's the that's a great big issue that spans all kinds of issues, right? Not just the couples dealing with infertility is just how do I reconcile my experiences with the truth of God's word, mm-hmm. where sometimes God's word is very clear and I can go and that that's what this is. Yeah. I almost find that many times, though. God's word on the particulars, right, of what I'm experiencing that could even be 21st century things that 2,000 years ago couldn't have been clearly understood are more of a now I need to extrapolate principles and things like that. Yeah, and for me, it's always where are we starting, right? And if if I'm conscious about where I'm subconsciously starting, mm-hmm. that's a big question for me because 
uh, a lot of the time I don't realize that I'm starting from my experience instead of God's word. Yeah. But if I go back to the root of it, it's like, wait, I'm allowing my experience to start that process. Yeah, that's good. Next good one. I've got a pairing of a couple of questions here that are okay. marching in a similar vein. Uh, first one says, I'm curious about being remarried. It says in the Bible that I'm considered to be an adulterer. Is that something I have to live with or am I able to ask for forgiveness? And then the other one was, how can I feel forgiven in my second marriage when I was not biblically divorced? Okay. Two questions. So start the timer. So both of those have, yeah, some real um, good connections to the other. Let me let me start by, again, back to right what does scripture say? Starting the right Let's start spot. with a biblical foundation. HCC for a long time, Pastor Tom years ago, put a great, um, it's almost like a position paper on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And that, that or an edited now modified version of that is still available. So like if you're watching today and you would like a copy of that, email Jackson or myself or just info at highdesertchurch.com, we'll make sure we get you a copy of that. Um, <clears throat> but it uses specifically passages like these two that I want to bring up. Um, the first we'd say when it comes down to what is, in a sense, we use the words, the phrase, what are biblical grounds for divorce? Like, does the Bible ever allow? And that's actually a question literally that Jesus was asked. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? That feels like a trap, right? Mm -hmm. The way it doesn't just say, is there any reason biblically someone could pursue a divorce it's like for any and every reason so you can tell it smells exactly like what matthew commentates it to be but this is jesus's response haven't you read it goes back to genesis 2 that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and that's genesis 1 and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife <clears throat> so the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh mm -hmm. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. They go on to say, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So they, they were probably expecting that answer, but had this like, now we're going to get you, yeah. second question. And this is what Jesus says in verse 8, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it, is not this way, it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, and this is the clear statement, don't miss this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Mm. So this is alluding back to the one question. Um, to the, the person who wrote that question, I don't know enough of those details to com com comment specifically to that relationship. But we're talking about now these, these general understandings, biblical grounds for divorce. If your spouse has an adulterous affair while you're married to them, Jesus would say, and notice Jesus's comment that you must pursue a divorce. We have seen amazing things. Robbie and Brenda, a yeah. great example. Brenda had um, biblical grounds to pursue a divorce. They believe though that God could heal, or at least let's try yeah. to see if God can heal. And 14 years later from that kind of fallout day in January of 2009, they've seen God heal something profoundly. So that's why at HDC, we love seeing God work miracles in healing marriages. However, biblical grounds, it is permissible and there's, there's not a, a sinful thing if you were to pursue a divorce once your spouse has 
committed adultery. Yeah. Okay. That and what's kind of a good memory tool. That's the first of two A's. So you have this adultery, and then the second one is what we just call abandonment, and that can be very vague. It's hard to understand. But let me read you the biblical premise for that. And then we can maybe talk a little bit more about that. This is found in 1 Corinthians 7. The last one was in um, Matthew 19. And this is what it says. Paul's writing, and if you look at even the header in my Bible, it says concerning married life. So this is Paul to a group of Corinthian Christians. Corinth was a mess morally. So he's writing like, I'm, I'm helping you guys because you have some, you don't have good mooring moorings. So he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 12, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So the scenario is a man comes to Christ. He's already married. His wife is not a believer, but she's not going anywhere. You don't go anywhere. And he's going to explain more why. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, supposing she is, um, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So if you're already married and one of you comes to Christ, it's literally said just the opposite. Now that you do not have permission, stay married. And then he says, why? For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So it's saying, and he says in another space, the timer's gone off, but we got to keep talking. <laughs> Um, he says in another place, because how do you know that God isn't using you to be a source of influence in that unbeliever's life? And there's no better place to influence someone than in a in marriage, home. right? Yeah. But then this is the abandonment part. But if the unbeliever leaves, so you're married to someone who's not a believer, you are, you come to Christ, then it says, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called you to live in peace. So this is a very narrow, and, and over the course of being a pastor for 30 years, I've had a lot of counseling appointments, asking questions about kind of where where do I stand? Where's the line? Yeah, and it's very narrow. This idea of abandonment is super you know, specific that if you're a believer and an unbeliever is not willing to go on with you, and, and usually that is, and I've met people, by the way, who do fit this description, and the unbelieving person is just, I cannot do this with you and your God. It's too much of your life. You're too dedicated, too focused. I don't want anything to do with it because I don't want to live according to God's design for my life. And so in that, according to this passage, some would even say that may have been what happened to Paul, as a Pharisee, pretty much a guarantee he was married. You never hear of his wife. And he might have even been writing from the sense of, because I've experienced this, an unbelieving wife who wanted nothing to do with me. And he did let her go. He never remarried. Was, we don't have any indication of that. <clears throat> but we have this sense here from 1 Corinthians 7 that it would be permissible to let that unbelieving spouse go and then to be available doesn't say again you need to get remarried but if you do get remarried to get remarried to a believing spouse yeah so adultery and abandonment are the two biblical what grounds. we would see as biblical grounds yeah and i think to these specific questions it seems like maybe one is coming from the vantage point of i haven't been divorced biblically um so for an unbiblical not unbiblical, unbiblical divorce mm -hmm. right 
and I'm single maybe right now, I'm taking the first one. And the second one is I'm remarried, but I wasn't divorced biblically in the first place. And so what do I do in those two situations? And I would look at them maybe similarly to the first question of, okay, you didn't trust God in that season. You didn't by faith, you know, kind of live according to his design in that first marriage. But now in that first circumstance, do you trust him enough to stay single? In the second circumstance, do you trust him enough to stay devoted to the marriage that you're in? It's not this like seeking to break up the band where I am now to go backwards to be faithful. Mm. It's man, if I've repented, I can be forgiven. And now do I trust him to live his way now? No, that's really great. And and one of the things in the document that Pastor Tom put together years ago is that you can't unscramble the egg. And meaning if you're in that second marriage already, then it's not like, well, I need to bust this one up to go. And and I get the logic. You're trying to, for you people to really... God's way. Yeah, like, I want to live God's way. But the reality is, and that's actually what's so powerful about 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter is about marriage. But then the next part I didn't read is, wherever you come to Christ, stay put. Yeah. Don't seek to disrupt and blow something up. And it talks about vocation. It talks about marriage. It talks about... So then the in, the understanding and inference would be, like you just said, well, if I'm remarried, I do need... There is, I think, a need to confess and repent of that decision to unbiblically divorce and remarry. But the answer beyond repentance is not, now I need to divorce this spouse. Yeah, It is, this is where I am. I recognize I need God's leadership over my life. And I want to live according to his design and repent of previous actions. And like you said, for that first situation, and the interesting thing is, you know, we've, as a pastor and with our other pastoral team, we've had times when we have even said to someone, is there no opportunity to reconcile back to the single person with that former spouse? Yeah. Sometimes there's not. They might be remarried. They might not be a believer yet. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons that that's not available. But if it is, that's at least something to consider. Yeah. So that's an interesting way to even go, God, could I at least even, if there's availability that they, they fit those qualifications, could I at least try to reconcile? And I will tell you, as someone who has done at least two come to mind, remarriages mm-hmm. like to the same person, after there's been, even at one, I remember a, a relatively lengthy divorce of five or six years, I feel like those stories are powerful redemption yeah. of saying, and not just like having other spouses in between, but like we got divorced for all the wrong reasons. And we realized that God's will was that we try to you know, um, reconcile and in doing so got remarried. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's a powerful story again of God working miracles in marriages. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we were bad on that one. Um, oh, they were combined, so yeah, that's true. It was a, a, it was a double grace. question. Yeah. Maybe we should have given ourselves ten minutes. Uh, this next one says uh, again, very related to this weekend. Uh, if the statistics are so high in church, uh, in church men viewing porn. What can be done to get men motivated to stop? And then, secondary question, maybe in the same zone, is a spouse's porn addiction considered grounds for divorce? Okay, let's do our timer. So, you know, I I think it's like anything else, right? Like when we talk about addictions to anything, it is a very hard thing to be in close relationship, married, 
a child of a parent, parent of a child, whatever it is. And to see someone who's not willing, really willing, talk is cheap, but not willing to really see change. It is very, very hard to be in close relationship and see them not want to not only do what's pleasing to God, but do what's better for everybody, mm. themselves included. And I think that's a really difficult tension. I've done a lot of pastoral counseling over the years of people related to who lo- and love addicts, but they're just not, the addict themselves is not willing at that point to change. And I think um, on the one hand, it's a recognition we say often as pastors at HTC, you can lead a horse to water. And, and we say that about things more like becoming self-starters as far as getting in the word and living out. But yeah. it's true about addictions as well. I can do all the things to pave the way, but someone's got to walk the road. Yeah. And the road's hard, yeah. right? Addiction, if breaking addiction was easy, everyone would have already done it. It yeah. is difficult. But the reality is, is that it's a, to me, I love the book Boundaries. It's even a boundaries issue of realizing what I can and can't control, and I cannot control that other person. So I think that's just good to almost take stock of that and be aware of what you your limitations are in the situation. But secondly, to the first question, what can a church do? It's what we're doing. Your week, when you were preaching, you gave a powerful statistic. It was a 7 or 8% of churches have any kind of ministry at all to yeah. people struggling with a porn- pornography addiction and we're one of them. Yeah. And that that's really encouraging to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that I think is powerful, right? We have a resource to point people to. And the beginning, I think on the personal side for any of these men church men that are dealing with pornographic addiction is admitting that you're an addict, right? That's always the beginning is to say I have a problem and I'm not in control. And when you can get there, it gets a lot easier to ask for help. And as long as you have deceived yourself that you're in control and that this thing isn't controlling you, but you, you know, use it for your purposes, but you're in control of the situation. Once you stop deceiving yourself of that and you realize I am not in control, it becomes a lot clearer the need to ask for help in the first place. But let's talk about the second one now. Is an addiction to pornography grounds for divorce? It's a great question. And it's one that a lot of our pastors have interacted with a lot over the years. Um, so let's talk a little bit back to, and that's a great follow-up question in Matthew 19, yeah. right? The idea is if, if your spouse has committed adultery, that creates grounds. It's very true that an addiction or involvement in pornography, addiction or not, is in a sense wishing you could. Yeah. You know, if you if you bring it down to a, a just an honest level, that's what it is. I would, I'm wishing I could have this kind of relationship with someone who's not my spouse. And even on the statistical sides, you're 300 percent more likely for marital infidelity yeah. when you have one spouse that's looking at porn. Yeah. But I think here's the challenge then is that the language of Matthew 19 is very specific to that of adultery, which has been defined consistently in scripture. And I think even just that, that literal definition of the word, someone who has a sexual relationship with someone who's not their wife or their husband, their spouse. And so I think that on the one hand, I don't think that fits a Matthew 19 um, understanding of biblical grounds, 
But I would say this, let's talk about the spouse and, and let's, let's just talk statistically. This is wives, meaning their husbands are involved in pornography. There, there is a growing number yeah. the other way, but, but generally speaking, right? Let's just go with that general stereotype. There is a boundary saying, I so appreciated Brenda mm -hmm. saying that this weekend. She felt like she would look back and really recognize Robbie's sin was Robbie's sin. It's However, I enabled, yeah. I, I looked the other way. I didn't want to deal with that reality. And that's one of the things. And I love, she said, I didn't lay out clear consequences. Clear consequences, yes. And I think a wife should rightly so be able to expect that a husband would not be involved in pornography and uh, we'll keep talking and would not, uh, and that there would be consequences about her level of relationship to him sexually, if that's how he's going to behave. Yeah. And, and the idea of seeking help, counseling, pure life. I mean, all those things going to the women's support group, yeah. uh, betrayal, uh, of uh, sexual, you know, um, problematic sexual behavior. So um, I think there are things to do. Yeah. I really want to communicate. Yeah, you're not just like, oh, this is it. This is my you're lot. Stuck. I'm stuck. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that that's different from what Jesus clearly articulates as biblical grounds for divorce. Yeah. And I would say if you talk to most of the pure life guys, as much as they're embarrassed to say it, uh, and a lot of the guys that are the success story out of the Pure Life program, they would say the only reason I showed up was because of an ultimatum from my wife. She, that was the yeah. that was the starting ground. They yeah. were too scared to ask for help, but it was man, I care enough about this marriage that I need to show up. Yeah. And so, that was the beginning. That like firm line in the sand was the beginning of a lot of the healing that a lot of our men have experienced. And, uh, and so sometimes that's the wake up call that's needed in those situations. So it's not, you're powerless in that yeah, situation. Exactly. And I think you're, I want wives to hear that real clearly from us today, that it's not, you're just stuck and sorry to be you. There are definite things you can do. And that's a great example of that's when the help begins. But, but hear this too. I would, I've done a lot of counseling and often my impression is that a person coming to ask me, do I, in a sense, that question could also be worded, do I have biblical grounds for divorce because my spouse is engaged in porn? Most times when I'm face to face with someone, they're not necessarily asking that because they want to pursue a divorce. Yeah. They're trying to figure out what leverage, what, what in any kind of power do I have in this relationship because that's not right. And I don't, and maybe they already have even tried, this, this isn't going to be okay. Yeah. You've got to figure out you need help and that spouse isn't willing to get help. So they're trying to figure out where that is. On some occasions, again, back to my just personal experiences, there have been some who seem to be, I am looking for a way out and that's that somehow makes it okay with God. And, and I'm not here to judge people's hearts yeah. and motives. I'm just saying in my meetings with them, the, the greater majority is I'm just trying to figure out how to navigate this because it feels like it's off the rails. And yeah. this is so dishonoring to me. It's dishonoring to God. It's dishonoring to our kids. I can't, you know, and that's, that's a good thing to go, what, what can we do here? But I feel like the other times too, where this really is a challenge 
is either a if it's repeated behavior that's not changing that's really difficult for a, a spouse to go what when's this ever going to get better yeah but also when it's a spouse who there may be i'm i am just looking for something to be okay like exonerate you know exonerate me like yeah. i don't i don't want to be in this marriage anymore give me a pass that needs to be that so i would just caution this is my whole point i'm not trying to judge motivations i'm just saying i'd caution anyone who would say how do i get out of this marriage because you said the same thing even with an affair with an adulterous affair that the the text jesus doesn't say and now you should get or must get divorced it's saying you can yeah and those are i don't want anyone to feel guilt if they do but conversely it's always also asking but is there any way to heal this yeah and robbie and brenda again a great example of that yeah and showing up to a support group like dealing with you know, sexual betrayal. Mm. It's a great way to get some good resources and tools on what kind of lines in the sand are okay to draw from people who are walking through it or have walked through it. So, um, next question. If, uh, God says sex is for marriage, how can married couples strengthen intimacy? If one of the spouses pushes away, uh, and there has been no reconnection for years. That's good. Yeah, we'll finish with that. So um, it seems like, again, back to marriage counseling, the longer there's a gap in all forms of intimacy. I love, I, th- I think it was even in our, maybe our marriage series or our family series with Kevin Thompson talked about intimacy being far more than sexual intimacy. Yeah. That even that idea of the statistic of how, how important just cuddling is, just yeah. being close to one another physically. Um, the longer that gap goes, it seems as though it's harder to, harder it to is. reconnect. So let that be a word of caution to all spouses that in general, all forms of intimacy, the more the longer the time period goes where you're just having those kind of physical connections, whether sexual or just literally, we're just close to one another and demonstrating that sense of, I, I'm so grateful for you. I love you. Yeah. The harder it is to reconnect. It just feels awkward. It becomes probably bitterness for one or both spouses, hurt, all that. Increases so, the emotion. Yeah. I think it's loaded, to, right? Yeah. So I just encourage every spouse to not let that go on over time. But we're talking to someone who it has. Yeah. So now what? And I just know in the counseling situations I've been in, I've encouraged couples to go back to dating mm. because most everyone outside of an arranged marriage um, had a season when they were dating one another and in that and there's baggage right every everyone the longer you go in marriage the more stuff there is to have to unpack but the reality is to go back to that place of there was a time when we were just so really into each other and we had these times alone to talk and it wasn't about just going to a movie and having your brain be nowhere for two hours we were at dinner having conversations we were going for walks couldn't get enough of each other yeah and i would do things to rekindle that and not even necessarily, especially if sex is kind of a trigger of challenge within this, I would try to make it as non-sexual as possible. Yeah, don't dive into the deep end. Let's just kind of keep going back to, let's remember why we're together. Mm. Yeah, those kind of small actions of like, and what would it look like to go on a walk and hold hands? Mm. And, um, and you know, I think the... Uh, 
concern here would be if one spouse is not interested. And I yeah. think if that's the case, then there is, um, there's underlying problems there, whether that be, uh, pornographic addiction or an outside sexual expression outside of marriage, mm -hmm. those things tend to cause that embitterment towards one another and that distance. Yeah. And so I think those are all very worthwhile things to go to counseling for, yeah. whether that be first meeting with a pastor, getting referrals. I think those are really worthwhile things that if you can get that spouse to come with you to that, to say, and, and really the, the grounds is not you're, you're the worst and this is all terrible, but it's, man, I just care about this and I trust that you do too. I trust that you in, in faith a little bit, I'm saying, I'm assuming the best of you yeah. that you also care about this marriage. And so let's just take this one step of talking to somebody outside of the two of us and getting kind of pointed in the right direction. And then if that's the case, how can we get some tools to just start taking, like you said, those small steps? What would it look like to hold hands again, to lock eyes and have a conversation about things that matter to us or things that make us us, you know, those kind of very early beginning things. And, um, and yeah, I, I really encourage patience in that yeah. process instead of the, man, we just got to get back to, you know, the, this full fledged thing that we had going, it's like, let's just take baby steps. And, um, you know, Kevin's great line that I appreciate in so much of what he talks about with marriage is if you have strong connection, there's really no other problems. You cool. can figure every other problem out if you really feel connected to that person, whether it be money or sexuality or parenting or whatever the problem is. If you feel close to your spouse, if you feel like you're, you're bought in together, then man, you're, you're in a good spot. You're yeah, going to figure that out. Of the way you're there. 90% of the way there. Now it's just mm. figuring out the solution for whatever that problem is. And if you're looking for like real immediate resources, man, check out on our media page, the dial your marriage to 11 with Kevin. Great mm -hmm. conversation between pastor Kurt and Kevin Thompson. It's like seven episodes of it. Just about good marriage tips, advice, things like that. So yeah. good, good resource to start with. It's a great resource. Yeah. Hey, right there. That was good. Okay. See, a little on time, a little early. We, we were combined late, a couple we were late questions on a couple. together. Yeah, that's true. So I feel okay about it that. Was but on the one question answers, we're pretty much yeah, on Yeah, we were there. Minutes. We were there. Well, that's all we got for this week of Tangible Takeaways. I hope it's been encouraging to you. Uh, let us know if you want to see more of us kind of answering your questions, and we'll try to figure out some ways to do that down the line. Um, but hope that this has been encouraging to you, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week on Tangible Takeaways.